Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thursday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. End of the week. Apologies, we did not get to the Twitter NBA show today because DirecTV took six hours to install my DirecTV after an appointment window between 8 and 12 became 12.30 and then they took six hours. It was too late for us to do it. But we'll be doing Twitter NBA show tomorrow for what's actually some superior games. Sponsored today by our friends at Wish. All listeners can get 20% off your purchase using my code CAPSPACE and Wish is also offering new users a free gift with purchase. So what we got today, we're going to go over the two TNT games, Portland Lakers and Golden State San Antonio, and then get to a few mailbag questions here at the end. Good evening, Danny. Good evening. And this ended up being two interesting games, interesting for different reasons. And do you want to do a little bit of news first? Not much, because the other ones we can do in the context of the games themselves. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, What we got here? Tristan Thompson is going to be out for a month with a calf strain that happened during last night's game. It was a weird circumstance because it didn't he was contesting a shot I believe it was and then he was kind of it was trying to get back on it or he was after a basket and was on an inbound and it, he just went down it looked off they had to help him off four couldn't put a ton of weight on it and we've talked about Cleveland's defense being an issue and we're going to talk about it tomorrow on the Twitter NBA show but without Tristan Thompson it's so much harder yeah it is he's probably their best defensive player on a night-to-night basis maybe you could throw Jay Crowder in that mix to LeBron not there of course in the regular season from a defensive standpoint and Thompson, Tom Haberstra had a great point there. He, of course, is always very interested in these rest fatigue issues. Thompson, you'll recall, was an Ironman for a long time and then was dealing with a knee issue in camp and now is going to miss this time. And you mentioned how he just you know, kind of started trying to run and, and pulled his calf. And that can just happen to you sometimes. It's really no rhyme or reason to it. In theory, at the time is when that's going to happen. But it's sort of a wear and tear type of thing that can cause that. And so for a Cleveland team that's trying to fix their defense they're trying to switch more thompson is their best switch defender that doesn't really work very well with kevin love you really are probably stuck playing conventional pick and roll defense with him be very interested to see how they look against that john wall martian gortat combination in pick and roll on the twitter nba show tomorrow night then the other piece of news was zach levine who is still not all the way back from his acl tear signed a big money a deal with adidas so it's four-year contract with them worth up to 35 million though just like 
when you see reporting on contracts, you always want to see, when you see the words up to, that doesn't mean it's 435. That means that's the maximum it could be. But still, it seems like a significant commitment from Adidas to Zach Levine. Yeah, and as Feldman was joking, he's going to set the record for most dunk contests appeared in. Although Nate Robinson it certainly put that up there pretty high. But you have to imagine that that would be part of something that Adidas would, would want from him. And I think that's about all we got here early on uh, in terms of news. When we get to Portland and LA, that was really an excellent game. Al Farouk Aminu out two to three weeks with the ankle sprain suffered last night in Utah. They started Noah Vonley and said himself recently returned from a shoulder strain that kept him out all of camp. And despite those issues, Portland just put it on the LA Lakers early. They did. They were six of seven from three early on. I, I tweeted out those, you know, RIP to the Lakers being sixth in defensive rating. And despite them playing pretty good defense the rest of the game, they ended up moving down to 10th. So it is a difference there. But Portland, I expected them to to run that momentum for a little while. I mean, they are such a talented offensive team. And the Lakers played better defense and the Lakers offense got better in that second quarter. So they turned a 41-25 deficit into only a six-point halftime deficit. Yeah, that's right. The Lakers came out with a 142 offensive rating of their own after Portland put up 171 in the first quarter. And that 6-7 from three, yeah, there are definitely some problems defensively for the Lakers. Brooke Lopez in particular just really, really gets taken advantage of in pick and roll defense. He and Lonzo Balls, we'll see, we're going to go through some of the possessions at the end of the game. Not on the same page defensively in pick and roll defense, although I thought Lonzo actually had some defensive moments in this game. But Lopez, really slow, especially against a team that does a ton of pick and roll with Lillard and McCollum both guys who can bang a three if you're not up there and then once Lopez has to get beyond the foul line really he's going to be too slow and so Yusuf Nurkic really was the big beneficiary there I think he had 20 points in the first half but Lopez himself had 17 neither of those guys could guard one another in the first half Nurkic ended the game with 28 points which is tied for the second highest of his career the highest being the first game he came I believe it was the first game he played against Denver after the trade when he went crazy <laughs> I think he had like 33 three in that one and Nurkic is a very talented player offensively in a couple different ways one he sets good screens that wasn't you know was relevant in this game but I thought he was better as the receiver of passes he has good hands he has good touch around the basket and he was able to create the space needed to get his shots off yeah to some degree now I think when he tries to get into the post he's still very prone to just flipping shots up before they can get blocked and coming into tonight only 47 percent true shooting for Nurkic that's a of course going to go up but he definitely takes his fair share of shots and fortunately in this game he was hitting the jumper and was able to get right to the front of the rim and the Lakers help defense was pretty inadequate I think one thing that really is a theme for me is that the Lakers defense at the rim is not very good they're much more effective when they have switching lineups in there like if you take Julius Randle for example terrible help defender not very good off the ball but if you'll switch on to someone and you just say hey guard this guy in front of you he can be an adequate option there what did you think of Lonzo Ball's game in this one Ball a mere 0 for 2 in 28 minutes but was plus 10 uh, with four assists and two block shots I think that what I was most impressed by with him beyond just his normal passing ability that wasn't as much the assists in this game was that he was zealous on the defensive glass that's something I do really like from him he did only end up with three rebounds but he was there a lot but you run into these issues with him and this was what you and I were concerned about 
about going into the draft. Like you had the issue of, you know, like as, as a shooter as a pick and roll. But then the other part is, is he scary enough when he gets ahead of steam and gets downhill to really draw that much help? And there are times when he does. And he's great if he gets that help. He's great at exploiting it and finding the other guy. But if opponents aren't scared enough of him, he won't reap those benefits as a passer. Ball has scored in double figures a mere two times this season, that 29 point game against Phoenix, in which, by the way, he was only 12 out of 27. You know, it's not like he was incredibly efficient in that game. And he is also only five of nine from the foul line on the season, averaging basically one free throw attempt per game, is getting seven rebounds, seven assists. And those rebounds could be very useful in pushing the break. It'll be very interesting to see where he's at when some of the on off stuff comes out. Obviously, the subject to small sample to be sure and overall in the season 29 percent from three 33 percent from the field and yeah it's just he may be a quality player but i think the ricky rubio comparisons are looking pretty accurate so far i think and it's also worth noting that Lonzo has not had the ball in his hands as much as might have been expected. They're not running everything through him. But when he has tried to attack, I mean, Reggie Miller was saying, oh, he's got to be more aggressive. He's got to be more aggressive. And when you're shooting 33% from the field and you're not really, he's not really able to create quality shots too, you know? And as an off-ball guy, I mean, he hasn't really, they're not like running plays for him off the ball to get open. He hasn't really even been aggressive pulling those signature super deep threes either. So I'm not sure what the solution is for him i mean do you think after now these first seven or so games of his career i guess it would be first eight games of his career do you think he will live up to being a number two overall pick type of player the number two pick hasn't you know it has a a mixed history you know there there are certainly guys like kevin durant that have done well but then you also have d'angelo russell who's still in the process of figuring it out and what ball does well i think can work but he he's a player and this is something you and i talked about early on something I recognized with him in college early on is that he benefits so much from having capable teammates and he does have guys that can do well in certain circumstances but you look at who they're playing Ingram not really a willing or certainly capable three-point shooter we'll get to that a little bit later Larry Nance who is now hurt that's not what he's good at he's a good basketball player and so like Brick Lopez he can shoot the three and you know he can respect it out there but I think that if they can get that better talent so like what what might be the best thing to happen to him is if the Lakers do get those, you know, one or two max guys, even if they play, you know, if they're ball dominant, if they get LeBron James, if they get Paul George, you know, some of those guys, because then he slides into what is a better role for him. I don't know because I think he's a smart player. I think he'll work really hard, but what his deficiencies are to get those to the level where you're going to have to make a defense sweat you every possession is a, is a tough thing to do. I think he'll be a good player, but that dominant, like all NBA guy, I think that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and I would say when I say living up to being a number two overall pick, I realize that the history of guys taken in that specific slot is checkered. But I think your expectation is at least that you're going to get a few all-star games out of a guy like that. Maybe not like a Hall of Fame player, a first-team All-NBA type of player, but that he might make an all-star team at least be in contention for that is your hope when you take a guy that high. I thought he had a few moments that were good to him. His hit-ahead passing is still solid. I thought he competed well on defense 
especially off the ball trying to deny that was something that a lot of Lakers after that first quarter in particular had success with was really getting into McCollum and Lillard off the ball KCP I thought had a really nice defensive game in the screen game and denying off the ball just wasn't able to shut down Dame Lillard one-on-one I really liked what Terry Stotts did as we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here but of allowing Lillard to just go one-on-one against his guy I think actually really that coaches in some ways don't do that enough with their point guards now just hey go ahead and beat your guy we're not even necessarily going to switch here we think that you just have the advantage and especially against a Lakers team where the help defense is inadequate although they have played much better defense this year but the help defense still is not great that works a lot better because he is able to blow by a guy like KCP whose really best attributes are competing off the ball getting over screens as opposed to really just guarding one-on-one and keeping guys in front of him though he's not bad at that but that's not where he's elite and that's part of why he stood out guarding Steph Curry at times because Curry is so unusually hard to guard in those circumstances and he's done a nice job of fighting through it something on those lines about Lillard attacking that I thought was notable in this game is that Damian Lillard took and made more than half of all the free throws that the Blazers took he had 14 made all 14 and they were 24 of 27 as a team yeah and it was really a key stretch late in the third where Lillard was able to keep them in it because the Lakers were turning it on at that point and he got I think maybe three possessions in a row was able to get to the foul line and they didn't have a great offensive unit on the floor at that point and as Kevin Pelton noted uh, another development in this game I mean it, it could just be a one-off is that usually the Lakers bench has been doing a nice job and then their start you know their starters have been either above or below water that's really been the calibrator for if the game is close this time their starters generally had pot you know they were positive when the starters were on the floor and then they were negative when the bench was on the floor which is also interesting because Kyle Kuzma scored 22 points on 17 shots in this game yeah Kuzma continues to look great he just is a natural scorer he's able to go one-on-one against switches made a beautiful running hook shot late in the game against Noah Vonley who's not a bad one-on-one defender at power forward position and the key to his game really is what he's able to do when he receives the ball with a little bit of an advantage many times that'll be popping off of screens and Luke Walton said actually he's popping a little bit too much we need him to set a screen and uh he still has yet to make contact on a screen the entire year but when you have the type of game that he does in those advantage situations you understand why he does that so often I mean he even I don't know whether this was the player or not but he even slipped a hammer screen and tried to go right to the rim when they ran out of pounds play and the other thing that he can do too is if he's on the weak side he's a solid shooter and he uses that shooting to set up his drives to the basket his floater game is outstanding he's able to avoid the charge generally as well good touch around the rim when he gets all the way there he can even pull up in mid-range he's a capable passer though we haven't seen as much of that from him yet and really just the offensive skills that he's shown have been remarkable and when you saw him in college you're like okay there's just another guy who scores in college you know he doesn't really have like unbelievable athleticism there's nothing about him that stands out so much you just think like all right you know how what role is this going to play maybe he could be a stretch four maybe he can grab and go and throw some passes but for him to be this dominating so far as a scorer has really been remarkable um unremarkable however has been uh, his defensive performance that's been a big problem and something else i wanted to put in terms of context is that kuzma averaged taking two threes a game in college at, at utah and making 30 percent of those so what he's been able to do i mean he was one for five in this game but you have that and, and what walton is going to have to do now because the other news of this game is that larry 
Larry Nance broke his second metacarpal. It was originally reported as a broken thumb, but it's the second metacarpal. And that means they have an opening at the starting four. And so are they going to go with Julius Randle, who has very specific strengths and weaknesses? Or are they going to go with Kyle Kuzma, which might help Lonzo Ball offensively, but that number 10 defensive rating might be in some peril if they go that way. Yeah, I mean, Randall actually, he actually had a few moments when he was in position trying to protect the rim, and he at least can switch. He's got strength. Kuzma is just really soft right now defensively, and so I think I probably would start Randall in that circumstance. By the way, Luol Deng, I mean, he hasn't played in like months. He started the first game, and now he's pretty much done playing, I guess. Um, I mean, I might try to give him a look at power forward just just to see, but they do want to see what they can get out of Randall and Kuzma. I think Randall is a good fit with Brook Lopez due to Lopez's shooting. And then when you bring in Kuzma, you know, maybe he can fit a little bit more with Andrew Bogut, although Bogut didn't play tonight. He may be out of the rotation close to permanently. He's become such an offensive liability. Uh, But I like Kuzma's offense on the second unit. He and Clarkson uh, are a nice group. I also really liked what we saw from Josh Hart tonight, just defensively. Again, I thought they did a nice job of making life at least difficult for Lillard and McCollum, even though those guys got into 20 and 30 points, uh, it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't like those guys played with force. They made guys try to go back through or they made them work. And that has not been the case for previous Lakers team. Also, that can work very well against Portland because right now they were relying so much on the offense. I mean, Nurkic did have that big game, but they just don't have that many other creators outside of those guys. And so, there, you know, there is a challenge if those guys are stifled and they weren't necessarily stifled in this game because they're incredible talents but yeah i like josh hart too i think that there's a place for him in this i have been open before about the problem of playing a defensive guard in the second unit because there just aren't that many great yeah. there are some of he, course but there are many great offensive shot, though yes he can and he should certainly play because they need to figure out what they have in him versus some of the other guys like you know cory brewer's kind of on borrowed time and you know he'll be on the team this year and then maybe he'll get a buyout so we can be on a competitive team for the playoffs but i would be trying more to see what you have in heart showcase jordan clarkson who played plenty and shot plenty in this game something else i wanted to mention was vonley coming back from his shoulder issue something that you noted on twitter but i noticed myself was he had this super awkward dry kind of drive in a layup attempt where he did kind of it, it was it wasn't a hook shot it was just kind of like he hooked the ball around his yeah, body it, and you're it, just it was, sitting there it was going, a needless double pump i mean he came down the lane yeah. there really is not any rim protection there like that's one that you really want him to smash or go up strong he, he was pretty much open and then he tried to just like elude guys in the air and throw up a flip shot coming down the lane on a pick and roll it really was it was not very good and he's despite the fact that when he really loads up he can jump he's just doesn't have great knack for finishing around the rim not great feel for the game overall uh, and for the blazers just in general if aminu is going to miss time you remember how awful they were when aminu went out last year now i think they have they look better defensively this year i think nurkic for all his flaws is better defensively than plumley they're not going to be trying to play myers leonard who is also out and crab while he they need his shooting it was not really a plus defender so maybe they can stay afloat defensively we'll see i mean they don't force any turnovers the lakers only had 11 turnovers in this one despite coming in leading the league because they can't force any but we'll see if they can hold up defensively without a mute harkless hasn't been shooting well i mean I, i'm worried about their offense too this is something we talked about in the preview i did with eric gunderson where other than lord and mccollum they really don't have plus shooters maybe pat connickton can become that guy and he's had a nice start to the season but i don't see him as being a guy in crunch time and then you're going with maybe evan turner at the end
then you're going with two traditional bigs it's going to be tough for them when if they're only three-point shooters are Lillard and McCollum because uh Mo Harkless has not been shooting the ball either this year Connaughton for the second time in a week shot two of five from three and lowered his season three-point shooting percentage because he started out the year so hot and then he had a zero for two in between those two games what's higher his his vertical and inches or his three-point percentage well that gets into the reporting now doesn't it because (laughs) well actually no it doesn't because his three-point percentage right now is four is 455 so 45.5 that's still higher than his reported lofty vertical i i i don't even know if that's a jab on you on twitter i was i guess it was trolling when i i mentioned that there was one play where he basically just didn't have the burst to get up for a dunk and you're sitting there going if this was actually he blew an oop later too they ran a play for him like a flare screen play where usually they would go to the corner and had him wrap wrap all the way around they threw an oop and he couldn't put that down he had like three chances to dunk in this game uh and couldn't put it down because and if you're a new listener they misreported his vertical at the combine and so everyone talks about him having a 44 inch vertical but actually what happened was that they just measured his standing reach as way too short and so what they do is they take your standing reach they see how high you can touch when you jump and then they subtract your standing reach from that and that's your vertical and so they mismeasured his standing reach standing reach is like you know eight feet or something which is incredibly low for a guy who's six five and so that's why he was deemed to have that big of a vertical and uh no he does not he could jump okay for a white dude but beyond that not so let's get into i think it's more of the second half we i think we've kind of actually set the door for the first half and one thing that was notable was that no vonley didn't start the second half they went to rookie zach collins instead yeah because vonley started with four fouls and then they put they put vonley in after four minutes collins started the half and immediately took he got some minutes in the first half and and didn't embarrass himself but he immediately took a contested three that was not a good shot at all didn't do much in this game um i think he came in with a negative 15 per he probably i don't know if he improved that to be honest uh because i don't don't recall if he scored he yeah it was 0 for 2 in 11 minutes and had one rebound so he may and two fouls he may have actually lowered his per (laughs) again uh i'm not sure exactly what uh negative 15 equates to but it's not good and so yeah finding production at the four was difficult for them i mean i think they might even consider going with harkless at four and turner at three to close things out or maybe even try to fit Connaughton in there if it's against a team that doesn't have like a, a great offensive option at the three um a few notes here before we get into the very end of the game you know talk about kuzma's defense they called two straight post-ups for ed davis who probably has not had a post-up called on him since he played for north carolina or called for him since he played for north carolina and the first time he just went right to the middle and scored on a hook shot with his left hand then he got fouled on the same move then he tried to spin move back to a hook shot with his left hand and he missed that one but that was three times in a row they went to that against kuzma so they definitely is someone that they are looking to attack just straight up one-on-one even against with guys who are not renowned as like big scorers oh something else i wanted to mention this is from before but you talked about how the blazers don't force many turnovers i also want to keep an eye and this will probably be something made for the next west 15 and 60 on their block rate because if they don't force turnovers and they don't block shots it's going to be a problem they only had four tonight yeah and it's tough for them to get out and transition as a result uh caleb swanigan got some minutes in this one had some okay plays on the offensive glass but really his lack of explosion which despite the weight loss that he's had is still an issue for him was really on display he got blocked his first time he tried to go up inside then he pump faked eight million times he got blocked again and then he pump faked nine million times and was lucky enough to get larry nance in the air and that's actually when nance broke his hand landing on him trying to avoid getting himself killed on swanigan's back and so reggie miller was talking about that on the broadcast but 
know, he's, he's going to have to figure out a way to use his body a little bit better around the rim. But sometimes it's tough to do that. You know, you might be able to do that against your guy, but then if the help comes over, you could uh, end up getting blocked. Um, let's talk about the end of the game here. I mean, there was some fantastic shot making. Brooke Lopez made this completely impossible fadeaway over Nurkic. And with under two minutes left, Lillard was in transition, got fouled by Lonzo. Didn't really see much contact there, but he hits two of the 14 free throws he made in the game to put them up by one. After KCP missed on a wide pin down for a three, that's when Kuzma hit that beautiful uh, running righty hook and just a straight up ISO uh, on Vonley. After they tried Brandon Ingram in pick and roll and he was just too slow to get by Harkless. Then he tried to ISO on Harkless and couldn't. Then they just threw a flaming bag to Kuzma and he's able to, to score and put the Lakers up uh by one and then we saw really some miscommunication between ball and lopez that just gave up a layup they just could not stop Lord. i think he had seven points in the last like two minutes of the game it might have even been more than that and so what happened on the play was that you, you a lot of times on a pick and roll it's just knowing what you want to do and so lopez expected blonzo to go over the screen but then ball was trying to force him away from the screen so you're doing two opposite things at one time and then that for you know lillard then gets into the help and as we've said for the entire broadcast so far the Lakers help is terrible so Lillard gets a two and then that gives them the lead again yeah and I'm guessing that Lopez was right there because with Lillard you're gonna force him over the screen and Lopez has to get up high enough to where he can prevent Lillard from just taking a three especially at that point in the game and so Lonzo played it like basically he was trying to send him away from the pick and especially you wouldn't do that to a guy like Dame's right hand either and so he was able to just go right to the rim and and that was that uh, KCP then missed a tough baseline shot and there was a nine second differential but Lopez just shoved Nurkic in the back as he was going up to set a screen that probably would have uh, worked again Nurkic too and then I really didn't particularly care for what happened next with Sats although I one other note I had here too as the Blazers was, were up by three with 18 seconds left is the new rules for the timeouts are actually going to put an emphasis on teams that are in better shape at the end right because once once you get under two minutes you can only call two timeouts if you have more than that you lose some and i think actually terry stats called one right before then but most coaches are going to want to save both of their timeouts for the last 30 seconds and so if it's a close game and so you've got like about a minute 30 probably of just straight ball unless there's a foul and so brooke lopez for example was exhausted and i think that's part of why he committed that foul and nurture they panned to him afterwards he was just hands on his knees just gasping for air because there had not been a stoppage for a little bit I mean and playing in crunch time you know a minute straight 90 seconds straight is actually like extremely fatiguing so it'll be interesting to see whether we'll see guys make mental mistakes or guys be tired you know with 30 seconds left in the game after you know there hasn't been a stoppage for a while it also could and i would argue should lead coaches to change their sub rotations a little bit that maybe you know they're the kind of the stereotype is bringing guys in with six minutes to go in the in the fourth maybe you want to start doing it at 5 30 or 5 yeah or if you're mike Budenholz are in a playoff game you can bring your best player back in with with one minute left <laughs> after sitting out for, with Beltrol. um god you're never gonna let that no, go no no that's that's a, that is a reference to like you know the first month of dunk down the first like playoff series that we ever ever did is like the hawks as the one seed against the net that's back when darren williams was still on the nets can you believe that like darren williams played for the nets in a playoff series the nets were in the playoffs during the period that dunk down was on we're this is a this show is getting pretty old here man oh uh, hopefully hopefully it gets a whole hell of a lot older but let's get into the last play so really 
actually, well, the la- sorry, the not the last play, but but the tying play. So I wasn't exactly sure how quickly the Lakers were going to move because you know you have to get the shot and you know you want to get it early, but you also have to get the best look you can. And I, you know, the KCP got that got a look off the screen, but I didn't think it was a, a particularly great one. But he absolutely buried it. Yeah, I mean, I think any three that you can get in that situation is good, and then you're also at least giving yourself a chance to, to offensive rebound and, and throw it back out. And what I didn't like about the Blazers' strategy was they still had Yusuf Nurkic in the game, not to mention Lillard. Although, you know, I mean, you're just you're not going to take Dame Lillard out of the game there, um, just because he's like the big leader. That's just like not what the custom is, and you're going to piss everyone off if you do that. It, I mean, the same thing happened with Steph Curry. It, remember in that Christmas game last year, and so they just had Brooke Lopez set a simple screen to put KCP right to the ball, you know, three feet in front of where the ball is being inbounded, and he hit a tough fadeaway three. I thought KCP played pretty well in this game. Um, but why isn't Portland just taking Nurkic out and switching everything when you're up three? They also had a foul to give. Didn't really have a chance to use it because McCollum got screened off and KCP was able to shoot it before McCollum could even get there. And I just didn't like the strategy. I think when you're in no threes defense, you want to switch everything and prevent them from getting a shot off, force them to go inside the arc, use time. If they score a two, they score a two. How did you feel about, I was a little bit bothered by Stotts then you using a timeout i mean you already have nurkic on the floor they didn't i don't think they made a single sub at that point you have the ball it's a tie game and the other team is going to be a little bit disheveled i think they could have gone for a look then it ended up working out but i don't like teams calling a timeout there unless the personnel shift is heavily 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 to their advantage yeah and i do think you know they had brooke lopez on the floor and i think they were able to get lopez off the floor as a result of that there you're probably not going to have talked about oh hey if they score or are we going to call a timeout? What are we going to run? You also, at that point, want to make sure that you run the time down. And I think he also wanted to make sure that Lillard had it and, and had it in an ISO. Maybe you could say, hey, they could push it up and then if he doesn't have anything. But you're running the time all the way down anyway. And so maybe you could have taken advantage of Lopez and pick and roll at the end or something. But um, it was more defensible than usual because, of course, the data normally shows that you are going to have a better chance of scoring in a no timeout situation even after a make and especially because i'm sure luke walton wasn't like oh hey you know if they make it like if we make it here like with immediately with 15 seconds left here's how we're going to play defense that probably didn't come up in the huddle beforehand but it may not have come up in the huddle for stats either and so i I was okay with it they advanced the ball they were able to get the look that they wanted at the end they put brandon ingram on dame lillard and uh, you know ingram is not that type of defender yet he isn't and i didn't think about it as much at the time but which maybe he's not on that matchup, but I think their best guard defender at this point, you know, it's KCP. And then I would say Josh Hart is the other guy who should have been out there. Yeah, maybe. Although that's a, that's tough for him too. And, and Ingram, if it's going to be an ISO, I get it. He's got a lot of length, but I yeah. mean, if you, this is actually, if you watch the film of this game winner, if you have a chance, it's easily accessible. Obviously I'll talk a lot about guys not being able to get into a stance. And, and a lot of times you'll see skinny guys like Ingram not have the hip flexibility. And Kyrie Irving suffers from this problem too, though he's not a skinny guy and when they try to get into a stance they don't actually like get their butt down so that they can slide and change direction quickly they kind of just like oh because you're always told to get low so they just bend over at the waist because they don't have the hip flexibility to get their butt down and slide and you'll see that with ingram it was very noticeable as he was playing defense on lillard here and lillard was able to 
freeze him i mean he still made an impossible shot i mean there's even steph curry is probably not going to be able to step back that far to his right which is much harder to step back to your right and still have the kind of power to rise up from you know a good 27 feet 28 feet the way lillard did create that separation over a guy with a 7-3 wingspan and just drain that shot i mean it's pretty impressive then at the very end the lakers i thought ran a nice play stotts went to an interesting approach he he had nurkic on the ball guarding lonzo ball but then he had everyone else actually arranged in a zone around the three-point arc but the play that walton ran i'm sure he wasn't expecting a certain zone by stotts maybe he's run that before i haven't seen it though so maybe i'm not giving him enough credit but the play was basically for two guys to run to the weak side one was kuzma and i can't remember i think it might have been kcp and there's only one guy on the weak side in this zone and that's how kuzma was able to get open because harkless was stuck trying to decide between do i guard kcp or kuzma and kuzma was pretty open like dame lillard got a little bit of a contest but he's way shorter than kuzma and uh there was a chance for kuzma to hit that as good a look as you can expect with 0.7 seconds left and a need a three situation and you talked earlier about the perils of having you know lillard is not the greatest defender about having him out there in this spot where it's a, a no a no offense spot you know that's very different and also for me i was and i actually got some crap from lakers fans unsurprisingly that i didn't think brandon ingram should have been out there because he's first of all it's a very quick release shot i don't think of him as having that in his arsenal and also he's not a great screener so like you know they're kind of you want one of those two archetypes they don't really have a great fifth guy for that spot especially with lonzo doing the inbound which was exactly the right call so it's they weren't choosing between good options but i probably would have had clarkson out there and i don't think that made a difference but it was just something i noticed like i i tweeted out before the play happened so i'm like why the hell is brandon ingram in there all right that'll do it for this game we talked quite a long time about this one but i there's so many interesting stuff especially whenever lakers games early in the season i'm always interested to talk about how their young guys are looking so we'll get to that warrior san antonio game won't spend quite as much time on that one and then it got a few mailbag questions but first this from wish over 300 million smart and thrifty shoppers have discovered wish the mobile mall app that connects you to thousands of merchants i hadn't heard of wish until actually a buddy of mine who's involved with the company told me about it a few months ago and he's like oh yeah uh how about like do you want to guess which company i'm involved in look in the top 10 apps in the app store and i went through and i didn't i know him pretty well and i was like oh wow is it wish and he's like yeah i was like well what is wish like it's in the top 10 like how is it so good he's like yeah it's this amazing mobile mall app it's the official mobile shopping partner of the la lakers the number one shopping app on both apple and google play highest rating mobile shopping app in the world and that's because you pay 60 to 90 percent less than what you'd pay in a store with no markups and no overpay i'm looking right now actually i bought this crappy vent holder from another store for like my phone to hold it up on the dashboard it broke somehow when i just went through to browse right now 360 degree magnetic air vent mount cell phone holder one dollar marked out for 28 dollars and that is an instant offer basically if you add it if i were to add it to my cart in the next two minutes i'm actually going to buy it right now on the air that's how wish works you can find just incredible deals whenever you happen to log on i just did that right now on the air and uh i'll let you know how it actually works out for me it's got like five thousand reviews and four and a half stars so i'm guessing it's probably gonna be pretty good i mean and that's the type of quantity of people who are using these products too it's really easy to rate stuff the way to get started with wish of course is by that cap space code all the listeners can get 20 percent off your purchase by using that cap space code and wish is also offering all new users a free gift so if you're a new user you get a free gift any listener any user even if you've been using it already get 20 percent off your purchase 
purchase with that cap space code which of course lets them know that you came from us that's the wish app use that cap space code for 20 percent off your purchase so we don't need to spend as much time on this one i mean it's really kind of more of the same of what we saw in the western conference finals last year slightly different cast of characters with Rudy Gay on the Spurs but I mean it's not really fair to evaluate San Antonio when they're missing Joffrey Laverne is it Danny? It's always fair to evaluate a team when they're missing Joffrey Laverne but I mean you had the beginning as you said right not only were the Warriors struggling to hit shots but the Spurs were were hitting a ton of shots early they were I think they made six threes in the first quarter something like that and they were getting production from a lot of different guys they started Patty Mills I'm guessing they felt more comfortable with him guarding Steph and you know they're at that beginning part their starters look good I thought Pachulia looked terrible in the first quarter he just he couldn't really impact the game defensively because the Spurs bigs can shoot from even if it's from 20 they can do that and offensively they know that Pachulia can't do much of anything so they were exploiting yeah. that but then I think they like to use Zaza to kind of beat LaMarcus up early in games with the hope that he's he's going to wear down because we saw actually that uh Draymond was guarding Pau Gasol earlier correct yeah they did that and I think one of the big stretches early because the Spurs went out to that 19 point lead was Curry hit a couple of shots late in the first quarter. He plays the entire first and third. That's that's what they do. And he hit a couple of shots and that helped cut the margin a little bit. And something I, I did a, a Warriors watch episode on this um, from, you know, from Golden State's perspective on this game. And I thought one of the takeaways for me, because uh, you said it's hard to evaluate, was that we saw more of Patrick McCaw and Jordan Bell in this one than we did in their other game against, you know, a capable opponent that I think of with, with the Rockets. You know, that was a, a game that they were close to 100 closer than the spurs are and i thought bell and mccall both look good yeah those guys are better than their competition they're more veteran competition in those spots uh, surprisingly enough in part because they're actually more reliable and smarter players than the veterans nick young and javel mcgee are um from the spurs perspective in this one I mean, they got off to that fast start, but finished only 7 to 24 from 3. 24 threes actually a fair amount to get up. Whereas the Warriors, I mean, they continue their unbelievable shooting. They were 14 out of 28 from deep. Clay Thompson led them with 27 points uh, on 11 of 17. He's saying his goal is uh, a 50 40 90 season. Getting over 50% on twos might be tough for him. And I don't think he's ever shot 90% from the line either, come to think of it. And then for San Antonio, Rudy Gay really couldn't get going. Lamarcus did have 24 points points but it took him 22 shots to get there the Spurs were able to be effective on the offensive glass for a while but really by the fourth quarter much like in those non-Kawhi games in the West Finals Golden State just overwhelmed them and the game ended up being played at Golden State's pace which is always a problem for the Spurs especially because it means they're not offensive rebounding that much and ho-hum is a good Spurs defense and Golden State with another like you know 118 offensive rating and they uh, still have what would be on pace for the best offensive rating in NBA history as of this point. Yeah, I think they're eight or nine points per hundred clear of everybody else in the entire league. But I thought the biggest highlight of the game was by a guy who only made four shots in the whole game. That was when Danny Green kind of bumped off Steph Curry and then dunked on around either way, Kevin Durant. Yeah, KD was also getting beat up by Kyle Anderson a few times one-on-one, which was pretty funny. But uh, yeah. uh, oh, can I talk Can I talk about it? So there was a weird quirk in the beginning of this game and I went back through it because I'd seen tweets on it and I wanted 
wanted to do it myself. So in the first quarter, Kevin Durant was credited as being zero for six from the field and having zero turnovers. And I, when I saw that number, I'm like, wait, that's not right. Because he turned the ball over like a series of times. And so I went back and looked. And basically, it's it's a scorekeeping quirk. And I wonder if the league's going to re- going to revise it or if they really want to do that. Because there were three times where he was kind of going up for a shot, but before the ball even crossed his waist, he got stripped. And so to me, that's a turnover. That's a steal. That's not a block. Yeah. And yeah, well, you remember Shane Battier would always ask the scorekeeper on those plays to have it be counted as a block uh, instead of a steal, or because especially because if the other team gets it, then you don't get credited for a steal, uh, but you would get credited for a block. So it's better to be credited with a block in theory on those plays. So I think uh, both players. I mean, it depends whether players would rather have a turnover or a miss shot. I'd rather have a miss shot, but a lot of guys they don't look at turnovers; they look at their field goal percentage, and that's I know that KD certainly obsesses about that so he'd probably rather it be a turnover frankly uh and the defensive player would probably rather it be a block yeah so so he you know so he ended up with 24 points on either 18 field goal attempts or 15 depending on how you want to see it yeah well the stats have been so bad so far this year are we gonna have to like actually use our eyes and watch games because you know i i never do that i, I don't know about you i mean at least, at least according to uh our twitter critics we're uh explain we're, how we're just a bunch of stat dorks who never watch the games at all um it's amazing the amount of detail i can get just looking at the play-by-play on the last few possessions of the game though right that's why corner to market in terms of efficiency but yeah i mean so there isn't a lot that you can take from take from this game the other thing that i don't need to focus on as much but it looks like the warriors are coming to an idea with the second unit where they're playing duran and curry more and playing then thompson and green on the second unit with david west and now with patrick McCaw and the ian clark role and iguodala and that you know there there's an argument that oh you know kd can really maybe he could thrive he could carry that second unit but i've just one anecdotally you know i haven't gone through i want to tear through the stats at some point this year but i just don't see him creating reliably in that and he does a good job with curry yeah uh, i think that's right and, and just for whatever reason they seem to play better this way even though it's not particularly rational i still think that kd you know they need to just make more of an effort to get in the ball especially in pick and roll with that second unit if they're going to try that uh, maybe not play livingston and iguodala together on that unit as well but maybe they just think hey you know what we'll play teams to a scoreless tie try to get out and transition and, and get our points that way um you know maybe rely on clay thompson i think the other thing they could do too is just try to run more stuff for clay thompson if he's gonna be the only guy out there oh well they're they're running a lot for clay thompson during that he was he was six for seven in just those 12 minutes oh there you go all right well that's uh, maybe they are moving more in that direction i mean for san antonio their offense has been a major problem so far this year they've not shot it as well from three as they normally do they really miss Kawhi, and i think we are finally seeing here because you always would see all right you know Kawhi is out hey they still are playing really well you know for a game or two and now I think it is catching up a little bit Patty Mills by the way that contract is not looking so good 12 million a year for the next four he has really struggled and I'm sure he'll come out of it and he's more of an off-ball guy they they've started him now again they had been starting DeJounte Murray earlier in the season and Murray again you know really more of an off-ball guy but he can't shoot so they just don't really have enough juice off the dribble right now in this team they're trying to post up bludgeon guys go back to 2003 and they did that even when Kawhi was there too last year but Kawhi was just so dominant that it really worked well and then they could get some more passing on the second unit with guys like Manu but it's it despite the fact that they went out to that lead in the West Finals last year I still think that the Warriors are a really bad matchup for San Antonio. Kawhi notwithstanding I mean he's huge but they don't really have that many things that they can throw at the wall you know like they they've committed a lot to the the bigs that they have and LaMarcus is 
talented. I think he can have some nice nights against the Warriors, but not the greatest there. Gasol is going to have major problems. And then their guards are, they're limited in specific ways, depending on which guys they're going to have out there. And so I think that's, there, there are always things that you can exploit against the Spurs if you have as much talent as the Warriors do. And they can out-execute most other teams. But I think they're always going to struggle with the best of the best to contain them through schemes and through execution. Yeah, and the Spurs aren't smarter than the Warriors. You know, that's a, that's no. the one team where they really don't necessarily have the intelligence advantage on, you know, Draymond, Iguodala, like those guys are, are, are really smart players in their own right. You know, you got vets like David West. And so the Spurs can't just out-execute Golden State. And Golden State, of course, has a massive talent advantage, even when everyone is healthy. Um, let's get to a, a couple of mailbags here. We'll do one question to start. Uh, what are we going to do here to begin? Well, so I think we should start with the one that relates to the Lakers. We talked about them earlier. And it said, if the Lakers could make a trade where they dumped Dang and Clarkson's entire contracts, but it required including both Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle, should they do it? Not right now. I don't think right now for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you're going to dump, getting rid of Randall is not the end of the world because any of their cap space shenanigans next year are probably going to take that. Unless they could dump both Dang and Clarkson without giving up Randall, then they could keep his cap hold on the books and still get to the double max base they need for LeBron and Paul George is who they're targeting. But as of right now, there really is not a reason to do that, especially because in theory, someone is coming to play with Brandon Ingram. And so trading him away to create the space, I think you wait and then see if those guys really want to come and then you figure out a way to get it done. I mean, the, and also the earlier you try to get rid of those contracts from Dang and Clarkson, and Clarkson actually hasn't been bad so far this year, um, but when they only have two years left on their deals, it's much easier to get rid of them than if you're paying them for this year as well. So no, I, I would wait uh, until the summer unless some really cheap option to get rid of them at the trade deadline arises. But you know, you also next summer can utilize the stretch provision on some of those guys and you just have so much more information at that point it would be foolish to dump them especially using ingram and randall i mean I, i'm not as big of an ingram fan as many are but you know he certainly has a lot of value around the league and he still certainly has potential still so and he in theory is one of the lures to get these guys to come to begin with they're gonna in theory want to play with him or they're gonna want to come here and then then have the lakers trade him for something of value that can help them win immediately so no i would not do that right now perhaps during the summer if there's no other way but I, rather than trading ingram even I think you're probably better off just trading future draft picks. They have all their own uh, future draft picks and they're a little bit limited right now because they owe their 2018 pick in the picks that they can trade after the draft has ended. They'll be able to trade whatever picks they want. I won't cover too much of that part of it because I agree with you pretty strongly. But the one element that I do think, and this is hard right now with Nance being out, is that they should heavily consider moving Julius Randle because the odds that he is a part of their future are exceedingly low because even if they don't get anybody this this year, meaning if this offseason, so in 2018, they're not going to want to give him a multi-year contract because then they're going to think, oh, we're going to get somebody in 2019 or something like that. And it's going to be hard unless they just want to hold his restricted rights and just think that maybe he'll wither on the vine. And that's possible. It certainly is. But if another team just is in love with his potential and values having his restricted rights at the end of this, I would seriously, seriously, seriously consider moving him basically if I ever got a good offer. I mean, he's looked good so far this year offensively. Sure. He had a great 
finish today where he went right through Zach Collins hung in the air he looks more explosive he's gotten into better shape lost weight his jumper looks like halfway decent not so much as three-pointer but at least his mid-ranger they're not giving him the ball as much to kind of iso and try and go through guys but he's the rare guy in this situation where I actually think his value could increase throughout the course of the year especially now that Nance is going to be out you know maybe he's going to start maybe he's going to start to look better but even if they re-sign him you know they could do a similar thing to what the Mavs did this year with Nerlens Noel where he accepts the qualifying offer and then you still got his full bird rights he has a smaller cap hold you can bring him back or not you know I think there there are ways that he could be kept in it and maybe even that he could be re-signed for less than his cap hold which I think is about 13 million next season probably not but maybe I wouldn't trade I mean if you could get a first rounder then yeah I would trade him but other than that no I probably would not um all right let's uh we got a few more questions here but first if you love watching games like we do you might want to try and make your evening more interesting and if you're a fantasy basketball fan you can do that with draft it's daily fantasy basketball but not like the other guys because you play with real live snake drafts with other people just like in your season-long league this isn't one of those things where you're working in a salary cap league and you're going up against these people who are putting in you know 300 games all at once with a bunch of different lineups and just have more resources to just try to take money from just kind of your average player who just wants to hang out and have a good time but maybe make it interesting with a little bit of money on the line in daily fantasy the draft started just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone on draft and they start every couple of minutes so you could join one whenever you want they even take care of last minute injuries for you as well so you can download the app anytime just search draft in your app store and you can join a game in minutes or you can play right from your computer on draft.com whatever you want all new players get a free entry into draft when you make your first deposit but you got to use my promo code capspace and of course you got to let them know that you came from us as well play a real money game for free using my promo code capspace that's promo code capspace on your first deposit with the draft app and draft.com okay what we got next here danny so one that i think is good for us to kind of just talk about with this audience is they asked how do you value plus minus and does it change depending on role player versus star player because it can be a misleading stat at times of course it can i value it more and this is just raw plus minus that we're talking about here i value it actually on a game-to-game basis quite a bit not even necessarily to say okay this guy played bad this guy played poorly but if there's something that i'm noticing where the guy's making bad plays that are out outside of the box score and then you see that he had a bad plus minus that can confirm that or you say hey this guy had an awful plus minus let's just go watch the t- part of the game when he was in right and see whether it was his fault or whether there's something else going on because oftentimes if a guy is a terrible plus minus when he was in or a really good one the time when he was in is when the game really changes the critical part of the game so for me it's a good way to be like hey all right i want to dig deeper into this in terms of phil i'm not going to follow it as gospel but i want to see all right does it match up like for example a great example we talked about this on last night's program was d'angelo russell came back in the game and the nets were up last night i think by eight points and phoenix immediately went on a huge run to end the game and so my initial thought was wow like maybe russell was a big part of that he's generally not a good defender but then i watched i'm like no you know what it really wasn't his fault the everyone was playing badly on the nets but it wasn't like oh here he made all these bad plays let the other team get open or turned it over or something like that so i think it it could be useful on a game-to-game basis when you're looking at kind of like the 
net rating for a player which is similar to plus minus but just adjusted for possession count then you want to be a little bit more careful but one of the big things too is just to say to look generally at like all right whose starters are playing well and whose bench is playing well you know for the wizards their starters always have a great plus minus and their bench doesn't for like many a year especially when john wall is off the floor you see a huge difference so that's another way to look at it as well is if a team just can't play well when a certain guy is on or off the floor um but i think that's it's easier to use it that way than it is to use it like okay this player really is terrible but it could be a starting point for that sort of analysis it is not and should not be a statement of quality unless you're talking about somebody who is so definitive and that requires a lot of context too that you think that it does rise and fall with them but as you said it can be an indicator for for where to go and so like i've had that with guys especially like those bench players who are big scorers but their teams get outscored when they're in there or even like there were some moments like that with ennis canner where like they were just getting where they were just getting housed and so so you're kind of saying they're going okay well what's going on here and it can go in the positive way too i mean so there was a game i think it was two or three games ago for the warriors where sean livingston was a plus 26 and i was sitting there as i I was a game i covered in person i was like what happened here and it was more just that he was on the floor the the for for some good moments curry went off you know things like that and so it it can be a place to look and then the other part is when you can separate it more you, you talked about the idea of net rating i do like looking at for a team and this is a different stat but like comparing all of the different players and they're like their defensive rating and offensive rating once you have a big enough sample to be like okay you know like i've talked about that with joel Embiid a lot last year you know like joel Embiid, like the sixers defended well when he was on the floor and they didn't defend well when he was off that's you know that's it factored into plus minus but it's a a, a, a subset of it yeah last thing i'll add on this one i generally make it try to as best i can make it a policy on this show that if i say someone's plus minus i'll usually say it when i think it's representative of how they played and that they had a hand in compiling that especially positive or negative plus minus and usually i'll note it when maybe his box score stats were really good and he had a terrible plus minus or vice versa and every once in a while i'll say hey you know what he had a he was negative 25 but you know i'm not sure whether it was his fault or not you know i'll say that too i try to always present it in context with all right this guy was actually doing stuff on the court that, that caused this to happen uh because of course there's not a perfect correlation with how you're playing and what your team's plus minus is you're only one out of five players uh what's next here so the last question we're going to do is michael kid Gokrist is often used as an example of a player who failed to develop a skill in his case shooting that was critical to his success and basically what their question was was how do you consider like what do you how do you factor in the fact that he's been injured so much because injured players have to spend more time rehabbing instead of working on things like in his case his jump shot yeah i think especially when you mkg in particular has had shoulder injuries and it's really difficult you know to work on your shooting when you have a shoulder injury or or some other kind of upper body injury michael carter williams is another guy who's been injured so much you think it's hard for him to work on shooting i mean i do think that it's not like a zero-sum game that like you can't work on your skills and rehab at the same time but sometimes you're just so injured that you can't go with anything approaching game speed and if you're shooting a bunch of set shots that may not really help you that much it's always hard to say how how much especially for a young player is okay he's not the same physically how much of it is lost development time in terms of just lack of experience not playing how much of it is that you haven't developed the skills just by working on things i think all three of those things can be part of it and, and part of it too can just be the organization kind of losing faith to you and you not being as big of a priority i mean if you look at like ben simmons for example this year it doesn't seem to have hurt him at all that he was injured blake griffin in 2010 it doesn't seem to hurt him at all that he was injured derrick rose obviously was 
never quite the same guy so it's tough to say exactly what it can be but when you're talking about a guy and mkg is a wonderful example in this question who is really reliant on skill development and he gets hurt i think you do have a reasonable argument that that sort of guy may be more affected by an injury than maybe someone else who kind of already has the skill level that you need and just kind of needs experience and uh, can get back to being that same player because he doesn't need to just like completely rework his shot and learn how to shoot you know the way someone like mkg or michael carter williams did um i want to ask you one more thing here because you know we can't have a commercial this close to the end of the show we're obviously very early here which player in the 2017 draft do you think will have the best career Ooh, yeah because you have the the potential worries with markel i'm gonna say dennis smith i always believed that he had a really high ceiling i still think fultz's ceiling is higher i i don't i don't doubt that but if we're talking expected value smith's athleticism is there i think he'll get better defensively he does have some red flags but i see it with him more than i see it with the other high guys in this draft even though you know as in you know NBA regular season games it hasn't been there as much I mean Lowry Markkinen I agree with you I, I don't think that he quite is like the right archetype of player to have the highest ceiling as he played the best of any of these guys so far either he or Tatum probably has played the best so far um you know, I mean, I've liked what I've seen from a lot of these guys, for sure. Even Malik Monk has looked good. Donovan Mitchell has looked good. Kuzma, obviously, maybe Kuzma has played the best of these guys. I agree with you on Smith. There have been some worrying signs about his defense. Already suffered a, a small injury, as well as had a couple of rough games recently. I would still say Smith as well. I mean, I'm not going to abandon my pre-draft expectations early. I mean, I and I was fully expecting it to be Markel. But yeah, like I said, I mean, if I'm saying I think there's a 50% chance that this weird shoulder shot issue could affect his career you got obviously got to price that in Lonzo uh has probably been worse offensively than I thought he would be even um and Jason Tatum has certainly exceeded expectations I'll be interested to see and his three-point shot looks better he's been solid defensively for this number one Celtics defense so uh, I'm willing to acknowledge the possibility that maybe it could be Tatum but I'm uh, and De'Aaron Fox has shown some flashes still not a believer in, in his jump shot Jonathan Isaac has shown some flashes too but i don't think he has the offensive upside so i probably would go with smith as well uh, but a lot of these guys are playing pretty well even frank uh has had some moments uh, of late defensively for the net one other point i want to make about this class that is super encouraging when we're three weeks into their first regular season is i think this class i've defined success of a draft in in kind of three ways stars starters and rotation players yeah and so a draft can be good in one or more or bad in all of them like i think was that 2000 that was bad in all of them I can't remember which one, but um, this class looks wonderful in terms of rotation players. I mean, you have from the top, you know, you have guys like Kennard who was drafted in the lottery. I'm not sure if he, I don't think he's ever going to be a star yeah. starter is a question, but he'll be a good, I, I think he could be a rotation player right away. He's also who, shooting 17% from three, by the way. So, uh, I still like him. Yeah. Still on board. Yeah. I, like I, Josh it's just, Hart. And I'm not trying to shit on you with that. I, I think it's yeah. just, it's important to just, because we of see course. these guys, they have one good game. It kind of gets into your consciousness and you miss the games where they're not playing well because it just kind of doesn't really come across your radar and then you look down at the stats and you know donovan mitchell is shooting 38 percent from the field and 31 percent from three even after he had that big game so you really i think this is one early on with rookies yeah the flashes are important but especially as to who they are as a player right now you know you gotta take a look at the stats as well and be like okay like let's uh let's slow down just a little bit here but but even with that like i i still like ojale jordan bell has impressed obviously dylan brooks i think has done 
done a nice job. Yeah, he's been in the with rotation a bigger, in Memphis already. Bigger role than we expected. So like I, I like that we've seen that John already Collins early and then has been solid. Absolutely. And so the fact that we were getting that early on with a lot of these guys, and there are plenty more that I like that just haven't had the opportunity. Swanigan's got more minutes than I expected. I'm not sure what he's gonna be. I, I'm not I'm including him in the rotation group yet. But I like that this class is strong. Oh, OG and Anobi is I think already already yeah. moving Jer- into that. Jared Allen is playing in the rotation. TJ Leaf. Yeah, Leaf. I mean, there's a lot of guys for sure. Justin Jackson has been playing not well, but I mean, a lot of this too is just due to the fact that some of these guys are on teams where they're just going to play and that's how it's set up at this point. But yeah, I mean, we are seeing more guys in the rotation early on here than you might expect. Malik Monk has had some moments for Charlotte too. Mm-hmm. And, and Terrence Ferguson got a little bit of time at various moments for the Thunder. But yeah, it's it's nice that to have that early on. Oh, and Jared Allen, who we both liked before yeah. he got yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah, I just mentioned him, yeah. Oh, I didn't miss that. But yeah, so I think that's an encouraging part of this. This might not be the greatest star draft. I th- I've, I've been a little bit concerned about that for a while, but that's part of the reason why I had Fultz number one was just I thought he had the best star potential. But if they can get starters, if they can get rotation players, the league always needs those guys. Okay, that'll do it. Please watch the Tour NBA show. The TV is working. It will actually happen, I promise. Tomorrow we've got, what do we have tomorrow? Um, OKC and... Boston. Oh, yeah. And then the first, and then the first game is Cleveland-Washington. Oh, yeah. No, those will both be great. I can't wait to see Boston again. I mean, we did the first Tour NBA show. Oh, no, we didn't. That was actually opening night. So we've not done Boston show, but looking forward to giving you a lot more of those. And that'll do it. We will talk to y'all on Sunday night. We'll have the East 15 and 60 at that point. Till then, fantasy basketball fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. Come and join your fellow Dunked On listeners at Draft today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or you can play right from your computer on Draft.com, whichever you prefer. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code CAPSPACE. Play a real money game for free. Use that promo code CAPSPACE on your first deposit and let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.